0: Welcome to Overdue Classics, the podcast for all the books you've been meaning to read. I'm Brandon LeBlanc. This is when I usually introduce Matthew Bianco and Andrea Lipinski, but I grew weary of their opinions, so I've dismissed them. No, just This is the time when travel starts to pick up around the Cersei office, and they both have some speaking engagements and their apprenticeship retreats over the next month, so they're taking a little break. Uh, in their place, I've got some additional members of the Cersei team, as well as members of our two leading families, uh, Katerina Kern and Alec Bianco. Katerina, Alec, how are y'all doing today?
1: Good. Thanks for that intro. Our two leading families, like yes. we're from Romeo and Juliet or something.
0: Yes, <laughs> yes.
2: It's the uniting of of dynasties here.
0: I have to point <laughs> it right. out, as, as an outsider, I have to point it out as often as possible that there's this power struggle between two families, or... Or happy marriage. Who knows? We're into Generation 2, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. But uh, I appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, Alec is our director of curriculum, and Katerina is our director of the Circe Press. Um, so we do, the three of us do a lot of work together, and so I thought it'd be fun to have have them both on with me to discuss Ovid's metamorphosis. Ovid, y'all go Ovid or Ovid? Uh, Ovid, right? Ovid. Ovid, okay. Ovid. Ovid's metamorphosis. This tells you exactly how familiar I am with Ovid. Okay. As a as an author, uh, well, let's start there. What what what's y'all's experience with Ovid? Uh, have y'all done any reading of metamorphosis or other works by him in the past? I'll say the very
2: first time I read Ovid was three years ago now, I guess twenty twenty, um, and so it was lockdown, and my dad and I, I was I went home, and my dad and I were thinking we have something to we need to do something with our time. And so we got up every morning very early and we would sit out on the porch and we would read. And we started with basically we went chronologically through the great books. Uh so Ovid was pretty early on and we just went through the whole thing. And I was kind of amazed that I hadn't read it up to this point. And we talk about the importance of myths and fairy tales and fables and stories. And that year in 2020 was kind of a a shameful reminder that I'm not as familiar with stories um, as I'd like to be, or as I had thought I had been. So it was really quite a joy to go through, go back and read some of these older Greek and Roman myths, um, but Ovid in particular, uh, just sort of masterful exploration of, of these myths and fables that were so important to the to the Greek and Roman cultures and and the peoples that were under those those empires in the first, in the late B.C.s, early A.D.s.
1: That's so awesome, Alec, that you guys read through a lot of the great books, it sounds like, mm-hmm. but even just being able to read all of it every morning, oh, that's lovely. Um, I had a similar experience in that I didn't read it as much of him as I would have liked. Um, I you know, got some stories in my early childhood. I think I read some in middle school. I think I, I mean, I know I read some in high school, probably most of Metamorphoses that I read in high school, but I say probably because I don't remember. <laughs> um, so most for, for me, of it is like a piece of my childhood that I'm coming back to now, but haven't read as an adult. So it's actually really exciting for me now to come back to it with this new lens and thinking like, you know, how sometimes there are those books where you're like, Oh yeah, I know that book inside and out. But then when you sit down and think about it, you're like, do I? Right. Wait, when was the last time I read it? Am I really that familiar with this book? I'm kind of having that experience with Ovid now. So I'm really excited for this opportunity to read it and discuss it together.
0: Very cool. I, I think I'm I'm guessing there's probably some people in our audience who are in the same Buddhist music. I've I've never read Ovid proper. Um uh, you know, I'm f fr- i am was grew up familiar with the the story of Midas, but I'm sure I got that from references in pop culture and probably a children's book version of some kind of Greek, like, you know, Greek myths, collection of Greek myths. It was just kind of random versions. So who knows which story I got of Midas, right? Who, Which version, if it was Ovid's or not. Um, and then I've heard the Orpheus and Eurydice uh, story referenced enough times, although I think he's not the only, I think, um, I think Virgil has a version as well. Um, and if I'm and I believe they overlap these two those two time period, like as far as their lives are concerned. So um, so I, I don't I know I know references <laughs> without knowing the stories, um, which I think I find is true for me with a lot of ancient texts. I know it enough of it has kind of survived in pop culture references through through Western culture that um, it's kind of in the back of my head somewhere without actually knowing the story myself. So I'm really looking forward to it um, and, and hopefully folks in our audience who who haven't read it yet either, will feel welcomed in. So, uh, and, well, and that's kind of why I wanted to start at the very beginning. Um, I, we're doing some selections, but I thought we, we wanted. To, I, I wanted to start with Ovid's uh, creation myth uh, here. And so the first thing for me was I didn't know until I decided we were going to do Ovid that it's written in verse, which obviously makes sense that you think about the time period. And that really, that makes it, makes it come across a little bit. At least an appearance to me, like the epics, but it's a very different thing he's doing than than kind of the story of one man or the story of a of a, a group of people. So, yeah. So that was what first jumped out to me. Anything? there's was there anything that just kind of really struck you this time with the, with reading the creation myth first? I guess before we head into the ages, but
1: mm, so I, many things.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot here. So it's always it's, yeah. it's always dangerous if I give you an open ended question. Should we start with just the
1: first two sentences? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like two sentences. Let's start with the first two sentences. I think we could talk for like a long time about just those.
2: Well, yeah, I absolutely agree. And that's exactly where I want to start because I think this is interesting. And you see this in the Iliad and in the Odyssey and the Aeneid as well, that the muse inspires the, the author the writer of this the teller of this tale right which accomplishes a couple of things i think interestingly here in particular with ovid he he's this is my translation and maybe y'all can read yours and tell me what the first couple couple lines say yeah but in this one he says, this is a new translation by stephanie mccarter um of ovid's metamorphoses and and she she puts it this way my spirit moves to tell of shapes transformed into new bodies God's inspire my work, for you've transformed it too. And from creation to my own time, spin out unceasing song. Really huh. beautiful.
1: Wow. And, and
2: oh, that's so good. Yes. And, and and one thing I love about it is that for Ovid here, the story itself, the telling of the story is creation. Mm. So he's telling a creation. The cre- He's speaking of the creation of the world. Mm while at the same time telling a story about or he he's invocating a kind of creation in order to tell this story i think that's really beautiful
0: this that's that's what struck me that's the first two lines for you right okay yeah go ahead katerina
1: my translation doesn't have all of that in it which is unfortunate. That's why I was so shocked by how beautiful yours is. Mine mine just says in that invocation you gods since you are the ones who alter these and all other things inspire my attempt and spin out a continuous thread of words from the world's first origins to my own time. So it's missing that reference that this is going to now echo your creation like my own creation is a subcreation of your creation that mm-hmm. you pointed out in your translation mine doesn't echo that same idea which is unfortunate but me i mean it's certainly there nonetheless even though not as explicitly made
0: yeah yeah it's uh, what strikes me strikes me is that it's the it's um it's the gods from it's the gods who created right that he's addressing uh versus what we normally see is one of the like is the muses right but yet mine mm-hmm. doesn't have as much ear about that subcreation. creation w- which translation are you using Katerina?
1: You know, you know, I don't actually know. This was a free version online through the University of Virginia. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure. I can look it up if anyone wants to know.
0: Um, well, I mean, mine is the, so I'm, I'm using the, the, one of the readers from uh, Old Western Cultures, uh, the Roman Roads, um, Roman year that we have here at the house. And it's uh, Dryden. Um uh, mm. And and similarly, I mean, it's, it's good. The verse translation is good. I mean, it's it's well done. I mean, it's. I assume I don't know. I don't know the Latin. I
2: think Dryden is the but go-to it's, translator for for Avin,
0: But it's smooth. I... It reads well. But it lacks that subcreation content. Uh, s- subcontext, I think. Um. Mm. Um. Of bodies changed to various forms, I sing, ye gods, from whom these miracles did spring. Mm. So. Um. It, yeah, it, it, it's it, that's interesting to me that 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 I, I'm curious what led her to make that choice. It's, it's a she, right? The translation you said, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it, to make that choice, or, or what was there for her to draw in that was either lacking or was just dropped for poetic reasons, you know, in in rendering an English verse um, by some of the other authors or translators.
2: Well, it kind of goes back to something you said earlier, Brandon, and I think you just. You meant it as sort of introductory for yourself, but it sort of strikes me—it's tangentially important to what we're reading here, which is that she's drawing on a a lot—a tradition that these authors put in to Mm -hmm. ascribe the story not to themselves but to the gods or the muses, some inspiration, some spiritual inspiration. Right, Um, that that leads that that's the stories coming out of, and you had said, oh, I think I've encountered these stories, but in sort of children's compilations, you know, and I think there's sometimes this tendency to think, ah, man, I know these fairy tales, but I got to go back to the original source, you know, and I got to find the the true version of that fairy tale or that story, you know. So we want to find the Grimm's brothers, or I want to find Anderson, right, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that, <clears throat> but also we have to understand that these stories are told. I mean, Ovid, right? He doesn't even know who the God is, right? who created the world? whoever he is um is what it says. yeah, so this story is there for all people everywhere. We all know that the earth was created, the world was created, and he's simply by by the um by the gods, by the muses is retelling the same story we all have in us we all know mm-hmm. again an act of creation I am create recreating this the story that we all know
0: yeah he and I think t- that's go ahead
1: I, I was just going to say and then you go ahead um but I think that's why he's referencing the gods as you're saying this is a universal idea instead of the music right? When they call upon the muses, it's because they need some inspiration to tell a story that's beyond themselves. They need to know things they couldn't possibly know, but it's about another human or about mm. a human's tale. So you have to call them muses because they control the story of humans, right? It's history, it's poetry, it's hu- human humanity, the humanities. Um, but here, this contrast of calling upon the gods is hearkening to this idea that no, we're, we now need not the muses but the gods we need this universal creative force in order to tell this tale which tells us something about the story that's about to follow
0: yeah i was just gonna say he continues that that um reference to god that's kind of somewhat unknown uh throughout the rest of this he, you know he'll say god or nature but the, you know but the nature as in the personified um doing things um Without really knowing, not naming necessarily, uh, Jove or Jupiter or whoever the uh, particular actor, but there's some god there that's 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 doing the acting uh, in this form of creation. It, it also is interesting to me that the, the in the begin in the very first line, at least for me, of bodies change to various forms. Um, we we get an introduction to the forming of the world. From, if we go a little farther, we see from chaos, essentially, from you know, all the elements being so mixed together, you can't tell what they are. Uh, but it's also an, a nod to the, the entire work, right? The entire work is metamorphoses, and we'll, so it's, it's changes that we'll see in sometimes more human stories, right, um, as we go along a a shift of their of their form in one way or another either from one form to another or losing form or gaining form um so just i think just so brilliant to kind of tie that right in the very beginning um that he's starting with the formlessness of everything and the creation of 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 existence but then also kind of leading us into what's going to be a string of of changing forms throughout the throughout the stories yeah, I, Brandon, I think that's that's really excellent
2: to notice. And I'd love just so people listening can can hear sort of the beauty of the poetry here to, to read those first few lines. Um, he says, before the sea and land and vaulting sky, all nature looked the same throughout the world. Chaos, they called this rough and knotted mass, nothing but sluggish weight and battling seeds of things just loosely joined in one big heap. So this juxtaposition is extremely interesting and considering that the whole, all of the stories that are going to come in this massive collection uh, are stories of change, of things changing into other things. But we start with this juxtaposition between chaos, everything he calls chaos, but the chaos consists of one big heap of seeds.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So what are seeds? They A seed is something that contains a potential within it to become something. So I think, I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys think about this, but when I hear the word chaos, I don't think of potential for growth. Right. I think of non-existence, destruction, um, unformed, disformed, no form, whatever. But for him, Ovid, chaos is is disorganization, sure, but of seeds, of things that have potential. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm struck by that. That's it's I'm kind of trying to wrap my mind around this idea that chaos is a is a group of grouping of seeds, one big heap of seeds. <laughs>
0: It, um i remember my very first cersei conference and i can't remember who was given the talk it was it might have been martin catherine um making this distinction between the judeo-christian understanding of creation and and basically all other creation myths um having some kind of chaos that has to be tamed by the gods um that's already started already it's, and it's but it's violent and and in, in those times it's violent and and um borderline evil it's not it's like it's not neutral and not a neutral chaos like where there's potential uh, and i was struck reading this how close it is even with it talking about how i don't remember and i'm and it's possible i'm misremembering that was six or seven years ago but that it's usually one of the gods like, overcoming and one of the other gods right and we get that in greek myths as well you know zeus and the titans and things like that but i was struck by how close this was i mean setting aside creating Nilio there's something here that's being created, that's being formed, or it's already in existence. How close this is it to some of that account, like the, this. At least much is the face of nature. If it is a face, it's over that. It's over that undigested mass, which read so close to me to the descriptions in Genesis over the face over the waters and it, yeah, it's just fascinating that Ovid is, is sees um, potential in that chaos and that it's then shift. It's as you go through as we continue to read the pieces are more sifted apart from each other, the waters and the airs and the lands, and then formed after they're kind of broken into their their various their various groupings. So I was just really struck by that. But I, I wasn't expecting it, I think, for for it to be so similar to what I know of as the, you know, biblical creation story. It was was kind of surprising for me.
1: In my experience with other creation myths from other cultures, um, this this is this rings true in the way that the chaos is presented. That okay. there's this association with chaos and the feminine because the feminine is life giving. So that's why the feminine is often tied towards chaos and water. So a lot of times in creation myth, life comes forth from the waters. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's this tie with this mysterious aspect of of chaos and the feminine and potential in the next, and the giving of life in the next generation. Um, those things are usually pretty interconnected in in creation myths in general. I was really struck by this first line to, the, and this echoes again, what you guys were talking about. I want to speak about bodies changed into new forms as the way that my translation was it, not good. Alec, can you read yours first line? Let's just have this be better. <laughs> the very the, first line,
2: the very first line. Yeah, my my spirit moves to tell of shapes transformed into new bodies.
1: Okay, Yes. so much better.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, so Stephanie, it, it you struck hit it out me of the park. <laughs> so. Yes. So so first sentence, the, the question that struck my mind is, to what degree are these things altered? Is their nature maintained as they enter a new form? Or are they speaking about forms in a more um accidental way rather than essential Mm -hmm. way to the thing itself so that was what i that first sentence brought that question into my mind so then as i was reading on it was so fascinating as as you mentioned Alec, how you're talking about how this order is brought in from the chaos it's fascinating that with every new thing that is brought forth it's just true to its nature it's becoming more itself And it was confined. It wasn't fully itself when it was wrapped up in this, my translation literally says ball. Um, (laughs) It was confined and couldn't be itself. But then once this order, once this God bringing an order removes and separates things, it says like the fire can go to its rightful place and the heavy things go to their rightful place. And my, my translation even says like the conflict of these diverse things being together. The conflict was ended by a God and a greater order of nature since he split off the earth from the sky and the sea from the land. So I just was really struck that the nature of things are still maintained, at least so far. I mean, that first line I want to speak about, Bobby's changed into new forms, is referencing the entire metamorphoses. So, you know, this could change, but for now, everything is altering according to its own nature. And even when we see mankind being created, it's so fascinating that the authors like, okay, so somehow humans are like the gods. How could this be? Right. Well, they must have a part of the gods' nature in them, right? So either when the earth was formed, bits of the sky, bits of heaven were remain, were remaining behind, and and then that's why humans are like the gods, um, or or uh, Prometheus formed them out of the earth and gave them the the divine image. I mean it doesn't say divine image, but that's the implication. Yeah, so it's just that, fascinating.
0: There's the idea of the divine spark the divine spark there. Either it's coming from the stars or it's or Prometheus is pulling it up out of the earth, which is fired by the star mm-hmm. by the sun.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So so humans had to change according to their nature is basically what I what I found so interesting with Ovid, that it's not just just artificial alterations and that things aren't just changing one form to the other Um, Mm willy-nilly but maybe they will as we read on
0: that'll be an interesting question to ask as we look at these different metamorphoses um if they're always changing according to their nature or sometimes not and if and if not why what's the what's the the, the difference right from this where we're seeing here where it seems to all be according to its nature um if that changes at some point why so
2: Can we actually dig into that a little bit? I don't want to assume that that's exactly what's happening here because I think you're right. You're both right. This is a really, really good question. And since this book is concerning change, what is the nature of the chaos being ordered? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So I'm very curious because you, you raised a really great point Katarina about, yeah, mine says, it isn't, I don't know. It says, he disentangled these from that dark jumble, then bound them, now discreet, in friendly peace. The fiery weightless force of dome-shaped heaven shot up and occupied the highest summit. Below this is the air, not quite as light. The denser earth attracted heavy matter and sank beneath its weight." So you're right. There's, there seems to be this kind of um, settling that's happening with each of the elements. But I, I love what Ava does here. So earlier on around line line 15 or so, between 15 and 20, he says, And though the earth and sea and air existed, you could not stand on earth or swim the wave, and air was void of light. No shape was fixed. So I see two things in there. I see one, he's thinking about the chaos of the elements with relation to how they are interacted with, mm. right? the earth cannot be stood on and that's what makes it chaotic the the waves the sea cannot be swum swam in cannot swim in it so and and the air was void of light so you cannot see so there's this kind of interesting um human element that he's thinking about or at least mm-hmm. animal element like there's something life has to exist in it in order for it to not be chaotic so i think that's fascinating and then secondly no shape was fixed uh and 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 i think that goes a little bit more with what you what you guys are saying about the sort of the nature of the things taking um the nature of things you know fulfilling their purpose but i also think there's a sort of geometrical quality that he seems to be pointing out. Right, when the elements are all mixed together, they cannot be interacted with or formed or used. And so the god has to disentangle them, Mm -hmm. making them discrete, um, giving them shape. The the earth just becomes a sphere. It's very, very interesting. the, The sort of, I don't know what you call that, logic? What is he doing? What's that ordering? Hmm.
1: Can you explain that question further? I'm not sure I understand the question you're asking.
2: Well, it's kind of going back to what you all were just saying. And it it struck me as well. So, you know, it's a little precursor here. We know what's about to happen. Guys are going to get turned into animals and girls are going to turn into flowers. Gods are going to... Take various forms and shapes, so it's so interesting that we're starting with chaos being ter- becoming orderly, mm-hmm. and then the rest of the book is going to be what has been ordered now will change once again. So it seems to me the overarching question for that we pose to Ovid is, what is change and mm-hmm. and and therefore subsequently, yeah. what is order? What does it mean to disentangle them? to shape the chaos. So uh, I'm sort of curious, I mean, you said, you posited, Katarina, that perhaps it's each part of nature fulfilling its purpose, that that's what the order is. But I'm wondering if we can push it a little bit, like looking at some of these lines, if we can push that and really see, is that what's happening or is that merely part of it? Is that happening at all? What is the ordering of this chaos? I see.
1: Yes. Good question. right. Well, one of the things that you mentioned that I find intriguing, and I'd like to maybe use as a way into that question, which is the, the way that the order is brought forth according to use. So we might say phenomenologically, He's, this is a very phenomenological explanation of creation. So um, I'm going to, in my translation, I'm going to read those two lines, and maybe you could read it in yours if it's different. Mine says, Though there was land and sea and air, it was unstable land, unswimmable air, air needing light. Oh, sorry, unswimmable water, (laughs) air needing light. (laughs) That would be chaos. (laughs) Nothing retained its shape. One thing obstructed another. Because in the one body, cold fought with heat, moist with dry, soft with hard, and weight with weightless things. So there is this aspect to which he's describing it phenomenologically. I'm not sure if that then means logically that he's saying that's what makes it orderly or not orderly. He doesn't necessarily say, you know, well, I don't know. I don't know to to what extent I would take that logic. Um, But this idea of the cold fought with the heat, the moist with the dry, there's this conflict, this fighting. And that's what's bringing the chaos, is that every every element is fighting with each other. So there's war. I mean, this is a description of war.
2: That's good. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so, so the God here is providing peace. Peace in contrast to strife or conflict within the... The elements of the world
0: here—that's the ordering.
1: I think yeah. that's safe to say at the beginning.
0: Yeah, because the, for the next line for me, from where you just left off, is but God or nature, while they thus contend. So that that, like you said, they, those things contend with each other. Um, to these, to these intestine discords, put puts an end. Mine had previously described it as a as a undigested mass. Um, so. It's sticking with that stomach metaphor, I guess, um, that uh, digestive metaphor. But, but so he, it, it's it's the very first thing as he does is put the discords at an end, and he, how by separating the elements, separating out earth from air and sea from earth. Um, and then what we talked about before, you know, the, the heavens floating to the highest, and then the air, and then the earth, and then it gets a little bit more complicated with the well, not complicated, but um integrated with the water and the land right he starts to separate them but then form them uh next to each other as shores and riverbanks and um things like that
1: one thing that i'm really curious about here and what you were pointing out so the next line on mine after he's just dis- it says when he had disentangled the elements. so it's the next sentence after what you just read branded and freed them from the obscure mass So it's interesting that he's freeing them. He's not forcing things to go into certain places. This isn't a Mm -hmm. tyrannical order that says you go here, you go here. All he does is free them from this entangled mass. And then when they do that, the things shoot off into their rightful places on their own, their own will, it seems. Mm -hmm. My version says he fixed them in separate spaces in harmonious peace. So now that's that resolution of conflict, this peace that's been brought forth. One thing that I found really interesting because it's coming up so soon is this idea of tyranny versus order and how the humans, when the humans start taking over the land, specifically says there there were men who were going out and drawing borders and boundaries between things. Um, and that's also when it talks about they go into the earth and they take the jewels
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, or the goods. I, I think jewels was probably my imagination of them going in, but I they take the, the goods uh, from Mother earth
0: I think it's the ore. So it's the ore for weapons and the ore for one ore for weapon making and one ore for money, the gold and the the iron. Yes. As we get, Um, as we jump into the next section, which is the four, the four ages. Right. So, which is what also we read today too. So.
1: Yeah. And I think that this is an interesting thing to place in contrast with that because I was wondering, and I still don't know the answer to this. So, I hope you guys can help me. To what extent are the gods bringing order in such a way that they're commanding it? Or are they allowing space for it? Like, what is their action? Is I don't know if I'm saying this in the right way because I'm struggling to say it. Does he bring order, whatever, whoever this God is, this unknown God, does he bring order by allowing it? He just creates space so that things can exist freely? Or does he create order by demanding it, by telling things what to do?
2: That's exactly what I was just thinking about as well, because the line that you just read, the The three or so lines right before it. A God in better nature stopped the strife. He cut off land from sky and waves from land and cleaved bright heaven from the close packed air. He disentangled these. There's, uh, it's not exactly violent language, but it's certainly uh, active. He's, he is actively here. And I think the part that you read, Brand, a little later around 38 or so. I actually just think this is a really funny, cute translation, but it says, you know, he poured out the seas, then ordered them to swell with gales and wrap the shores of circle land. He added springs, great lakes and ponds. I just love that line. He added, like, he just sprinkled uh, <laughs> ponds across the world. Um, a little pond here, a little pond there.
0: You get a pond but, uh, and you get a pond and you get a pond.
2: But I think that's such a good question. And you're absolutely right to compare that uh, to these ages that come later with man and metal. And so to to kind of juxtapose those together, um, line 137, they set sail on the winds, which sailors still did not know well. This is the age of of iron for men. They set sail on the winds, which sailors still did not know well. And the boats that had just stood on lofty peaks danced in the unknown surf. And with a lengthy borderline, the careful surveyor marked the land that had belonged to everyone, like sunlight or the wind. So what's well, different? Why is it wrong for man to make these border lines? But yeah. it was right for the god to make those border lines between sea and land. And maybe it goes back to well, what you're saying because I think it, of their nature.
0: I don't yeah, know. I think it does. I think I think you're right that for, for, especially for our modern ear, especially for any of us who are not at all involved agriculturally, we hear words like cleave and, and those seem like violent words because, well, they can be right. You can, it can be violent to cleave like someone's shoulder (laughs) from the rest of them. But, but if, if we think of it in, in other terms, and if you, if you deal with livestock or uh, animals and you have something that's, entangled like it talks about the elements being here you you have a calf tangled in the barbed wire you're going to cleave the barbed wire you're going to cut and and separate the two things that shouldn't be connected to each other you're going to you're going to create that separation and then the calf is now free to be a calf is to move around like it's supposed to be where it's supposed to be um so if we think about these things being entangled in the same way that it can't get themselves out of this entanglement and so the water can't be the water, and the land can't be the land, and the hot can't be the hot, and the cold can't be the cold. And if this God's doing that kind of cleaving, where he's separating, he's now freeing those things to be where they are. And then he, and then he does some shaping, you know, he puts a coast here and a river there and sprinkles those ponds around like you're talking about. Um, and maybe the distinction is that man is cutting things into artificial, in, into non-natural boundaries right there's no reason for these there's this boundary to exist except for these people don't want to be with these people right and they're just gonna they're fighting over who gets it um that that's the only distinction i can think of i do think the earlier one is one of order um that's in I, it seems to be in line with the nature of the elements because the elements exist we're told that they exist there already but they're so commingled they can't be what they're supposed to be you can't stand on the land you can't navigate the water um and so my gut is to say that those things have a, have a nature as they exist, but they're not able to fulfill it in the, in the state they're in, um, which may not be true once the man starts making the divisions.
1: Yeah, I think we need to look. Well, I, I don't know if the text even gives us enough information because I've been trying to figure this out, but what what exactly are they doing that's problem? I mean, of mm-hmm. course, he does explicitly say they um in my version they basically it says embrace all wickedness but let me find it um they wickedness erupted into this age of baser natures truth shame and honor vanished in their place were fraud deceit trickery violence and pernicious desires so we do know their particular vices um but it seems like There's, there's something more that I want to try and understand about them. And I wonder if it has something to do with the order of the gods, because we know that the silver age was brought in when Mm -hmm. Jupiter started to rule the world. And before that, it says Saturn was ruling when there was that golden age. Now, interestingly enough, Saturn is the God of time. So I think that that's telling us when time began, we had the golden age and then Jupiter steps in and establishes seasons. So, Ovid doesn't tell us a whole lot about how he's viewing Jupiter, and I don't know if if Jupiter is determining something about the humans. Um, I don't know the causal relationship between Jupiter ruling and the nature of the people, but maybe there is one there.
0: But well, it is interesting
1: him. that Jupiter establishes the seasons, the, the first thing he's doing, is bringing taking what was once time, the golden age of time, everything was spring under Saturn, now we've got this different form of ruling it's he's dividing up even further and now we have the humans dividing up even further and so i just wonder if the gods have fallen into more and more division and so the people are as well kind of imitating the gods in that
0: because saturn's banished at that point too right he's he's now um well it says driven to hell in my translation um but um to start the silver age and so yeah by by violence jupiter defeated him yeah so he he, he has to remove the eternal springtime right that the 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 center or the if it's flowing from saturn if, if the golden age is is under saturn's rule time begins and it's it's eternal spring with i mean it's 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 identic, right like man doesn't have to work for his food it's just there it falls off the trees uh so he has to uh, can remove saturn in order to rule and in doing so he has to set up a different structure because he either can't or won't run it the way same way Saturn did, did as an eternal springtime. So is it Jove that introduces the potential for disorder or for order that separates and cleaves and leads to violence in a way that's different? I was struck that the brazen age or the bronze age is so is such a short reference. I mean, the, none of these are super long. But it just talks about it becoming violent and bloody um, right on the, you know, on the on the back end of the Silver Age, um, which I think leads to, lends itself to what you're talking about is the, is the gods that introduced this, this change.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if it is or not, but I think it's, it's, it's worth exploring um because i'm trying to understand the relationship between the gods and the humans mm-hmm. and again coming back to that question that alec asked a moment ago to what extent are how how are the humans and their bringing of order or bringing of tyranny i would say to their different from the gods act of order I, I don't know if it has to do with a difference of degree or a difference of kind and the way that gods and the men are enacting their will upon nature. Well,
0: what's interesting is that that Jove's order in in the Silver Age, um, and in particular the, um, the 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 splitting of the year into four seasons, um, leads to uh in, in position being put on man right so they go from being able to just eat and live without much work to um their the first houses right they didn't need shelter in the same way in eternal springtime it doesn't seem like it says those houses then were caves or homely sheds um but they shot they they're, they sought shelter from the inclemency of heaven so there the, the both the extreme heat of summer and the and the extreme cold of winter requires, puts a requirement of shelter on them, and the requirement of, of agriculture, of 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 plowing the field and planting seed in order to be able to eat. Um, so they introduce work or the or the necessity of work uh, to man by that by that order. Um, it, he doesn't really tell us, he doesn't give us any insight right here into why Jove would want that order, what the, how that benefits the gods, but. Um, It seems to put an imposition on man that didn't exist before, which may lead to them imitating those gods and putting impositions on one another in in the later ages.
1: Mm. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out, because there we do see a direct causal relationship from Jupiter ruling to mankind's present state on Earth. Alec, what do you think about? You look pensive.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm trying to understand this because it's very confusing to me. Um,
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) What these
2: three ages are. Right. I guess bronze and iron are two separate, but it doesn't really like you said, they just kind of come together in the same. But that's that's what's strange. So this Golden Age gets a lot of time. From Ovid. Um, what is it, 20 something lines? Mm-hmm. And then and then Jove comes, and then very quickly things just fall apart. <laughs> so and it's and I don't he doesn't quite explain the difference between the silver age and the bronze and, and iron age, what happens there and how we get there. Um but it's certainly uh, well, I, guess, I suppose what I am struck by is, unlike, in say the the Genesis creation myth, where man that the God God is ruling the world gives a very specific command, man breaks that, and then trouble enters. Right. That's not what we see here. This is very different than that. This is, and up to this point, the creation myth is actually very similar right um there's chaos and then god brings in order and now the earth is ordered very similar but this is where it gets strange so after humans are created um and i love maybe if we have a chance to go back and talk about the creation of humans because it's really beautiful but it's very interesting that we're not it's not clear where there's no fall yeah um so it's very unclear where all the wickedness comes from, and so I wonder: does it come from Job's rule, or did it happen under Job's rule? That's even, that's sort of what's
0: unclear to me. Because even Saturn's fall isn't the fall in the way we isn't the fall we would talk about for, say, Lucifer, right? It's a he's tossed down, but not because he 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 was in charge and gets tossed down, right? Versus the person he rebelled against the person in charge. Um, So even that's a distinction. I don't
2: know. The the beginning of it says in line 90-ish, the golden age came first, not Mm -hmm. forced by law. It's people freely honored loyalty and right. There was no fear, no punishment. Right. So interestingly, nobody's in charge.
1: Do you, your translations, do they say in the next line describing the golden age there, there was no fear or punishment. There were no threatening words to be read fixed in bronze. Mm Mm-hmm. Beers say bronze.
0: Mm-hmm. Wait, words that's, were... Uh,
1: there were no threatening words to be read, fixed in bronze.
2: 94, or 93. Huh.
1: That helped. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it too much because it could be a translation thing. Right? Maybe that's not actually the same word in in the Latin, but it should be. Um, but that, that might be enlightening for what the Bronze Age is. There were no threatening words to be read, fixed in bronze.
0: Yeah, I don't have no a reference crowd of, to the law of what we'd be written on. I don't think.
1: Sure, but but well, whatever whatever it is that they're writing on, this is a reference to the laws, right? Yeah. No yeah. crowd of suppliants fearing the judge's face. So maybe the Bronze Age, maybe that's enlightening us in that there's the the order that was brought about was a spoken order before, but in the Bronze Age, the words are engraved; they're fixed in bronze. Mm.
0: Yeah, because my first lines in the golden age says the golden age was first when man yet knew no rule, but uncorrupted reason knew. So man has no rule. Um, so I didn't I took that as still being under the God. But there but there's no. There's no ruling men, no kings, no. Um, or we see no judges yet, no courts. And that's what I was trying to sort out. I was, I, I was assuming that the Bronze Age is the Bronze Age, like the actual Bronze Age. Whereas the gold, but 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 um, obviously the gold and silver wouldn't because those weren't those aren't ex- the bronze age re- re- refers to you know things being made out of bronze tools and weapons and whatnot. In in, a, in and we talk about it historically now, and they may or may not it may or may not overlap with what he's talking about here. But if they're able to engrave in bronze, it would certainly seem a similar time period when laws yeah, are being put down. Yeah,
2: I think this is more similar to. Um... What Socrates talks about in the Republic with the golden souls and the silver sold and the bronze mm-hmm, sold mm-hmm. people in the city. I think, and I think we can see this from the text that he's using these somewhat symbolically, okay, so I wonder if he's using it symbolically yeah. because perhaps in Ovid's time, laws were inscribed on bronze. I'm not sure, and so the bronze represents law, order in the human government, like you said, Brandon, that maybe that's the case here. I don't know, we'd have to keep pressing Mm -hmm. into this, but it does seem interesting, at least in the golden age, right, there's no law, everybody did everything without fear or punishment, Um, no judges, no defenders even, but also no one's, they're not cutting down trees, they're not sailing away, they're not visiting mm-hmm. new places. Mm-hmm. They're just living where they are, eating berries that pop up spontaneously.
0: Right. Yeah, that bronze age is where it first talking talks about warlike it says the like offspring. Um, which the which is the reason I only reason I connected it because that's when you get more effective weaponry when you can make it out of bronze. Um yeah. versus like wood.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Do you guys, the in the golden age section, does yours begin with the golden age as the subject of the sentence? So this was the golden age that without coercion, without laws, spontaneously nurtured the good and the true. So the age itself is the one nurturing the good and the true in the humans.
0: Uh, Yeah. Uncorrupted reason. So, yeah.
1: That's fascinating because what if this might be completely crazy, but let's t- tell me if it is. And that's great. I'll know. But what if the order that the first God was establishing is still being told about right now? And he's saying that first God who created all things created the golden age and that nurtured these good men. And then he mm. created the silver mage age and that did this. He created the bronze age and that created this type of man. Mm. And so each, each age is giving man their nature in that, in that period. So there's still order. Right? So even when we get the Iron Age, where it's chaos, and it says all the gods have left the earth, they've just abandoned to the blood-drenched, they've abandoned mankind to the blood-drenched earth. Even that is a part of this greater sense of order, because the age that was created by the God who brought about all things is bringing about this chaos. It's So in other words, the chaos that we see from the humans is not a rebellion against the gods like it is in the Christian myth. It's hmm. in keeping with the gods. The gods determined this chaos.
0: By, cha- by and that's why there's no fall. So, because the nature of the golden age is eternal springtime, plentiful, all these things in keeping with the nature of that era, that age, man pursues the good without without law. He, he that's the bent of the age, and as soon as you start to introduce the seasonality and things of of the silver age man has man's man shifts to live according to that age, um, by his nature, creating settlements, plowing the ground.
1: Yeah. I mean, the grammar of my translation and it could again, just be my translation in which case, then my whole theory rides on a (laughs) reading, but, um, the grammar of it is that the age itself causes it spontaneously nurtures Hmm. these humans and brings about the human that fits the age.
0: Interesting so then 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 our question backs up to why does this creator god implement new ages that appear to be less ideal right that 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 are violent or what or did it need to didn't did it need to in order for man to be able to have to have to make more um difficult decisions to to come to its fullness of uh, well I'm, i i wouldn't be so quick to to say that it's not clear to me,
2: rather, that the God implemented these ages such that certain races would pop up in, uh-huh. inhabiting or having these sorts of characteristics. Um, certainly, whatever's happening, it's affected by what the gods are doing and what man is doing. So we have all these actors and these characters. And like, for example, with Saturn tossed to murky Tartarus, Jove's rule began. He's referencing a thing that, in for example Hesiod, we would know more details about, but Ava chooses not to go in depth there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Jove throws, overthrows his father, throws him into, H- into Hades, uh, Tartarus, and now he's in charge. And so at this point, up to this point, Saturn was in charge. Of something, because right, it's the golden age. And there's even no mention of Saturn this entire during the right. entirety of the golden age. Until suddenly we find out with Saturn gone, now Jove is in charge and he implements these seasons. So something happened. <laughs> it's like watching the movie in the middle, like jumping in, in the middle of a movie, and you just missed all the stuff at the beginning. You don't know what's going on. That's kind of how it feels reading this. Like, what's going on here? Um it's kind of fun. Um, But then also, I want to bring attention to the very end of our reading today, because it just gets worse. Men threaten wives with death, and they their husbands. Terrible stepmothers brew ghastly poisons. (laughs) Sons try to forecast their own father's deaths. Not they make it happen. They forecast it. It's just hilarious. Um, (laughs) And then, but lastly, I think importantly, the virgin justice is last of gods to leave the Mm -hmm. gore-soaked lands. So there's this interplay between the gods and man. And sometimes the gods affect man. So Jove overthrows his father, causes the seasons, and now man has to live in the world that Jove has created. And then but then man does something, and now they've so exacerbated that issue that it's causing the gods to leave. And I think that – so this world yeah. is very interesting that Paul is presenting for us.
0: Almost like they they at some point start rejecting living in the God, that Joe, the world that Joe created, and start trying to create a world there, themselves, create the world how they want it, which just is also – just leads to incredible violence. To the point that the gods are like, yeah, abandon it. Like you're talking about what the last one being uh, justice. That's interesting to think about in, in that context because if we are, I mean, as we kind of alluded to, and no, we're going to get into more of stories where things are getting changed, but but with interact oftentimes with interactions with one of the gods, but not in the way where the gods. It, this almost paints a picture of the gods were kind of very involved earlier on and. With the humans and everyday life, and it was somewhat harmonious in the Golden Age and a little less harmonious in the Silver Age and, and, and introducing things man maybe didn't care for so much like having to plow the field. And then a lot of the stories we're going to get later on are the guys kind of dropping in, you know, like they're not they're not there with the humans. If we want to use the illustration of like the Guard of Eden walking with him, you know, day to day, they're just kind of dropping in. And that's where we get some of these other stories of metamorphosis that we're going to that we're going to look at as they interact in kind of distinct points with distinct with distinct humans
1: yeah and i think too to to respond to both of your comments there um i think i have to continually remind myself not to read this anachronistically which is very Mm -hmm. easy to do because when we ask questions like why would a character do something like try and understand their motivation for an action or try and understand each character in their own personhood I think that's anachronistic. Hmm. It's so tempting for us to read that way, but with myth, the like with myth, you're just noticing, you're observing reality. Right. It's just it's just avid observing reality, and I don't think he's asking as much as we think, or as much as we naturally are asked to or think, because the Bible gives us such insight into our God, so we're inclined to ask for motive and things like right. that. But I don't think that Ovid would have those questions in his own mind, and I have to keep reminding myself of that. That that's that's actually a way that we're trained to read because of the 19th century obsession with the individual and the rights and all of those things. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I don't think myths are in, intended to be read that way. That's so a that's good just re- something I'm reminding myself of.
0: No, that's a good reminder. Um, yeah, because my, even my question, right? Like, why would the god stop stop the golden age if it was great? Like, why? What? What kind of god would do that right that's that's very much a, a if if not modern modern it's a it's very much a um uh post post-resurrection question right like for comparative scholars say listen your gods are chaotic and they don't care about you and they just do what they feel like and we have a good god right that that's at least a it's not ovid's question i think it, is it, is it, or not ovid's point uh, i think it's probably fair to say but it's a good reminder to to try and approach it that way. Um, and to recognize where we have those lenses, um, you know, uh, especially when, when we're first reading that, I think those kind of questions are apropos at some point to to compare beliefs and, and those kind of things. But when you're first approaching Ovid to kind of let Ovid be Ovid. Um, so it's a good reminder.
1: Yeah, and that's so hard to do because there right. are so many comparisons that are so readily available. To scripture and it, it is of course tempting to think oh wow i'm so glad that i know the true god who isn't this way and like what a tragedy that some humans didn't know that there is a, a good and just and loving god and you know things like that are easy for us to be the takeaway and i think those can be a wonderful takeaway of course mm-hmm. um but it's not what i've been saying <laughs> so
0: no yeah. yeah rather than say looking at it and thinking i mean the flip side of that coin is to think about how how close it comes to the biblical story without that revelation right it's, it's fascinating it, just observing just was the observational myths like you're talking about would lead ovid to to see some truth because it, it would ha- some of these things would have to be right if you're just observing the world some of the things he, he lands on if they're not even if they're not the perfect truth they they're so close um because if you're really observing observing the world at the creative world you you see these things um in a way that we're terrible at observing like as moderns we're like we couldn't even come close because we can't but our, our observational skills are so um influenced by so many other things and, and and kind of cut off i think in a lot of ways so that's good
1: and that's why I love reading Ovid is because he assumes that nature is worth a close observation
0: right? Yeah, and that
1: reality, reality deserves to be told and, and um, expressed as clearly as possible. And that's, it's, it's so, it's so incredible. We don't, even, even if we think that we do, you know, we might go outside and spend time in nature and think that we love nature, but the modern mind is so far removed from the way that Ovid is understanding nature.
0: Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I mean we don't even think of nature in the same Na- nature is just something we're not even part of, right? It's just this thing we go sit in when we want a break. <laughs> um so, yeah, t- Tim uh Tim and um Emily Maeda got into a conversation about that same thing talking about a winner's tale uh, on a recent on the recent episode of The Place of Things. So that even Shakespeare's view of nature was so much closer than ours. It, 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 he's able to talk about it in ways we can't, so
2: Awesome. Yeah, I love I love the description he gives of of humans, the creation of humans. And I'll just under this last few yeah. lines. Of Let's do it. He says, though other animals gazed down at land, he gave a towering countenance to humans, and ordered them to look up at the heavens and raise their lifted faces to the stars. Thus, Earth, which had been formless and unwrought was changed adorned with strange new human shapes.
0: Wow, that's a really good translation. I mean, it's so it's beautiful.
1: beautiful. It's so good. Oh, man, I gotta get that translation. I'm gonna come steal that from your desk after oh, we're yeah. done here.
0: Nice, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I've yeah. still a few weeks, so I'm in town. Um, that's a great place to stop. Thanks, Alec, for reading that. Um, Absolutely. Thank you both for being here this week. I'm looking forward to, to doing up opera with you guys. It's gonna be fun. So. It's fantastic. Oh, thank, thank you, you both. What a good conversation
1: yeah thank you so much this is so fun
0: listeners uh, thanks for pulling down that book from the shelf and dusting it off and cracking it open uh joining us for this episode of overdue classics join us next week we'll be discussing orpheus and eurydice as well as the death of orpheus uh those are two books apart in the they're not in the same book uh, but you can so i think book 10 and 11 for those two and you can send us questions or comments to podcast at cerseiinstitute.org uh, it might be good for Ovid, since we're kind of be doing Little vignettes to send If you have a question about the creation Or, or the, uh, the four ages to send to now While it's fresh in your head We'll just gather those up for the Q&A episode at the end So thanks for joining us And be sure to check out the other shows On the Circe Podcast Network